0: Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 209. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore on Twitter, filling in for my normal co-host, John White, at VJourneyman. We are a couple of pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at NerdJourney. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. This week, we are back with part two of Anudeep Parhar's story. But if you missed part one in episode 208, here's a little recap. We talked about Anudeep being a heads-down developer who pursued leadership as a way to progress his career. And we followed him all the way up to that VP level, even CTO. He was curious about the technology and wanted to focus on emerging technology, but he was also very curious about how businesses use it and how it can make an impact. He learned a lot of things about being a frontline manager and higher levels of management that I think would be valuable to go back and listen to. This week in part two, we're going to start off with what Dan Coyle would call a moment of ignition. Ani Deep's going to tell a story about seeing someone do something and that kind of giving him the thought that he could do it too. If you were asked the difference between a CTO and a CIO, what would you say? Would you be able to paint the difference between those two? I don't think I would have been able to do it very well had you asked me before this, episode, this interview happened. And how technical should a CIO be, by the way? What does that even mean? We'll talk about how to communicate with executives, how C-level execs communicate with the people under them, and why, if you've been the CIO, why would you want to keep moving up? We'll answer all those questions and more in this part two of our interview with Adity Parhar. I liked your comment about getting used to having everyone in the room being smarter than you. I think that's something that is really hard for people to be okay with. And and I think when we say smart, it just means a different kind of smart. It doesn't mean that you're not smart. Certainly, you bring skills, knowledge, and experience, but you probably bring that through a different lens and at a different level of the business organization. That's my theory anyway.
1: That's absolutely correct. I, you know, it's not like just book smart, so to speak, right? It's people are a lot more savvy in terms of their own disciplines. I use that term a lot where you increasingly have to challenge yourself that you, you want to walk into rooms where people are smarter than you. You know, you're not the, if people want to be the smartest guy in the room or the smartest person in the room, you've already lost. No. And if you do that, I, I think it challenges you. It it does. It's uncomfortable. It drives you to learn things that you wouldn't really think you need to learn. It'll you know, you'll wake up in the middle of the night saying, I gotta go read about what is the FTC doing about the broadband channels. It's got nothing to do with the day job, but you understand sort of how this impacts your stuff. And you know, and and that plus sort of a learning mindset it's pretty important.
0: You mentioned mentors a little bit earlier. Where did you find the mentors? to help you along the way. I imagine it's probably a mix of people that worked for the same company you did and some that did not.
1: Yeah, there's two things. One is uh, I was fortunate enough growing up you know, professionally at the Thompson that you know, we were, especially in the 90s, you know, there was a lot of effort being put into developing people and you know, formal and informal mentoring programs, etc. So, so I was just lucky to be there at the time and so independently meet a lot of business-minded folks who were not just technology people. This was in ninety six, ninety seven, I think. There was a very clear moment I remember, and I won't sort to of use names because I think that's unfair. But Thompson went through or West. This is during the the Thompson acquisition. It was a very clear shift, and I, you know, I'm just a young engineer trying to sort of figure out running a small team and trying to figure out what life is going to be all about. Right? Our CTO at the time in the company when we bought Thompson and we built this new entity, which was a much bigger business our CTO of the business was picked over at that time, the commercial guy to run the company as CEO. And this was an article that was published back in the day, whatever info world or something, that there was a very first time that a large company had made that choice, which was a very empowering thing for me. And I learned a lot from those folks, which is like, it's a lot more easier for, and I, it, and I don't mean to say it the way it's going to sound, but it's a lot more easier for technology, Leadership people to cross over into being business minded if you have the right attitude rather than a purely business person to understand the nuances of technology. You know, it's a lot more easier to, to sort of upskill yourself into business knowledge rather than downskill yourself, not to say it that way, but upskill yourself in technology skills. So that was a pretty powerful moment to find some people who are like, oh, nice. If you can do it, then I can do it. So what do I need to know? That's where I started using, and I still use these you know the phrases today is that. If you want to exist at those levels and the different sort of rare air so to speak you have to be in line of revenue figure out a way to get there by hook or crook fight hard be able to talk about how you're in the line of revenue otherwise it's just a productivity measurement and that doesn't mean that there's not a lot of money a lot of careers to be made there it's just that you know, at a certain level you cannot just be Cost and to say, well, that's what it takes, right? No, you have to be able to say how it enables the business, et cetera, et cetera. So you have to be in line of revenue. So line aside of of the revenue.
0: Yeah, 100%. That is a great way to keep some job security and, as you pointed out, get a good op- opportunity for career progression.
1: Yeah. And I didn't answer your question around sort of so, directly around the mentorship stuff. So, so Thompson, I learned you're know, fortunate enough to work for the company where there was a lot of mentorship. And the second thing. And this is personally for me and not everybody likes to do it or not. You have to be out there. You know, when I started to do this, we didn't have LinkedIn or any of this stuff. So you, you formed local networks with like-minded people. You have to sort of push yourself to, you know, have these conversations, make the time to go there and learn from folks and, you know, extend sort of reach with, you know, when LinkedIn came out, you know, it's been a lot more easier, but I don't think people still use it the way, in my opinion, the way it's used to. Be. Yeah, I think that you have to put yourself out there to be able to reach out to folks and to be able to sort of be humble about requesting assistance or saying, Hey, can you spare thirty minutes with this and make the effort to go see them where they are. So there is a lot of networking you have to do. There's a lot more tools available now and then you have to actively seek out mentors. Mentors are gonna come look for you. Right? So you see you have to take the initiative.
0: You have to make the ask and make it easy for them to say yes and Tell them why you want to talk to them. You're right though. I mean, LinkedIn is a powerful tool and it's one of those things where you just have to determine how much time you want to spend there, how you want to use it to level yourself up along with all the other tools out there. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people I think can get overwhelmed. But I do like what you said about seeing someone who's more like you succeed and be selected for a CEO role. It kind of gives you the, oh, I can do this. So when I've heard about or seen evidence of someone like me or have someone who has something in common with me succeed, it gives me more confidence that I can actually do it.
1: Absolutely. Hey, you guys are the prime example of that right now.
0: Well, we're, we're trying. We're uh, We're just riding on our guests' backs and getting their information out there to the world. So, tell me about the difference between a CTO, Chief Technology Officer, and a CIO, Chief Information Officer. Is there a difference?
1: I'll, I'll give you guys my definition, right? And then, you know, for no judgment, everybody can serve. Because these roles are very malleable. Everybody sort of does different things. And, you know, I think one of the things you learn if you've been in exec teams long enough, you don't have to follow a principle. Usually these roles get assigned to make sure that the team is cohesive. Business. Businesses have challenges, right? And then you assign roles and titles based on what you need done, right? And it cannot be just randomly built. It has to be based on, on certain industry definitions, right? So, so the reason I say that is don't take it too literally that there's only one definition of CTO or CIO, right? So one of the things is that you look at both of them are chief positions, which means is you are the ultimate sort of owner of whatever that function is. Generally speaking, CTOs are considered more outward-looking technology, if you have any. Back in the day, it used to be, unless you're Oracle or SAP, nobody builds, you know, healthcare people didn't build outward-looking technologies, and nobody cared. So they had only CIOs, which is internal technology, where your stakeholders, another way to look at it is, if you're a CTO, your stakeholder generally is your customers and your partners and your people who pay you money to buy your stuff. If you are a CIO, largely your stakeholders are considered to be internal folks, which is colleagues and board and other committees and all the other stuff. Uh, but over time, what's happened is either the law of, sort of numbers and the dollar signs comes into play. Usually, the technology infrastructure, i.e., the internal technology infrastructure, going through all the machinations and of like servers and data centers and all that. Suddenly, the 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 CIO jobs became very. Large jobs in terms of budgets they ran and very large sort of span of control and implement, you know, impact every function within, uh, you know, the traditional sort of your GNA line item on the, on the income statement, right? So when that became big, there was a very clear sort of shift that happened. Unless you're a purely tech company where you work progress technology, CTOs used to work for CIOs because that was just part of the functions of the broader head of information technology. Because mo- most organizations didn't have that much outward they look. They had a couple of portals that the CTOs would manage, etc. So that's one way to do it. That's sort that's of one way it was. The other one was, if you're a technology company, you didn't really need internal. You know, your head of technology needs to be the person who can talk about what tech you build. So there the, the role was reversed, where CTOs are the head technologies and the internal guys work for those guys. And the yeah, same thing happened with the, 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 the security officer, et cetera, et as well. Depending on the business need, these are either all collapsed into one organization. They are, there's some hierarchical relationship or depending on the company's needs, they could be, you know, peer uh, organizations as well. And these are evolving. So anyway, I don't know if that helps or not, but generally definition is CIOs are the, the, the you know, largely looking at internal tech. CTOs are largely looking at external tech. But if you are a technology company, CTO is the head of all tech. And if you are largely, say, healthcare, outfit or Target or whatever else, CIOs usually have the 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 top job.
0: Oh, that's great! I really appreciate that background. Now I'm going to ask this: How quote technical should the CIO be?
1: Technical is like a continuum, right? You know. So, so look, I'll, yep. I'll answer the question with a question. Uh, would you ever? I I use this phrase a lot would you ever trust a company where the head sales guy has never carried a bag? The answer should be no. Would you ever trust a CFO who's never been an accountant or has never done the fact... These are not just generic general management jobs like they used to be fifty years ago. These are functional roles. So yes, I expect people who have, who have the head technology job to be actually pretty technologically savvy. They don't need to know exactly everything how it works, but if I utter the word chat GPT, they shouldn't be like Googling it right now. No, they should know about these things
0: that's that's a good point staying on top of technology trends that's something that you constantly have to do if you're going to be in either one of those roles whether it's cto or cio yes.
1: and if you're running people organizations i wouldn't trust people who just sort of make stuff up right you got to be able to sort of you need to be able to have reasonable arguments and and be able to justify why you think a certain way again comes back to it these are technical jobs and you know These are not general management jobs like they used to be so many years ago that all you have to do is just preside over an organization. No, you're expected to know your stuff.
0: What would you tell someone who had a goal to be CIO as to what they should be thinking about and learning about to progress to that level?
1: So if you are, given where people are in their roles, right, if you are, for example, if you, you have grown through infrastructure organization. In order to be a CIO, there are organizations or businesses out there where all CIOs do is run networks and you know provision servers, et cetera. So you can certainly get to that position that way. But generally speaking, where I I believe the industry is going is you have to even within technology, you have to be able to go on both sides. You gotta be able to sort of look at you gotta have project management skills, you gotta be able to run large cross-functional projects, you gotta have the leadership skills in order to get there. And you have to be able to sort of zigzag a little bit within functions. And within, for example, Within the traditional technology infrastructure, there's technology organizations, there are infrastructure people, there is the, the project management people, then there is the application developer people, and then there is the application admin people, right? People who maintain large Oracle and SAP and ERP type implementations. In order for people to move ahead, you have to be able to show that you can do more than just one piece. You don't have to be an expert at all of them, but you need to be able to say that you have the way with goal to be able to do this. And, you know, I look at as gain more skills. If you're a core infrastructure person, try to get into the application environment. If you're an application environment, try to get into application development a little bit. Do it early in your career. There is a real rapid click. You know, it's not, nobody looks down on saying if if I did for two years, I did, uh, you know, network. Another two years, I did application development. Then I became an SAP guy for two years. Nobody's going to look at it. People actually will like it. I went through that personally. You know, if you look at my first job at Thompson, all of it was almost like 16, 17 years, right? And then I've changed five jobs since. And I felt really bad. Me, it was like, man, I just took a gig for a couple of years. But that was very explicit. And now in hindsight, people actually understand if you explain it that way, like these were deliberate choices. I wanted to gain other skills. I wanted to get into the healthcare. I wanted to get into, you know, how do you bring a company in-house? I wanted to get into saying, how do you buy, build, and sell a company, et cetera. So I encourage people to do that. If you want to see our gig or head of technology gig, try to at least get into one, two other functions, and don't be afraid if you do it for only a year. That's fine.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Don't be afraid to try it. And if you try it and you're not successful, you can always go back, right?
1: You have to take the risk, right? You know, things are, are seldom sort of given to you.
0: That's true. What about we talked about it a little bit before. What about that communication between people at the lowest levels and executives? How can individual contributors do better in the way they communicate with technology executives or others?
1: You have to know the audience a little bit. Now, no, that's obviously, you know, the, the most obvious statement ever said, sort or of no. Know. You know, not. You, So I can take my example. Like I project a very clear view with the people that I work that I am very commercially minded. I have expertise in how to run things and build things and all the skills that I talked about, and I have proven experience to do that. But over the past 10 years, I've been clearly shifting my point of view to be more commercially minded. So if you're an individual contributor in my organizations, you will get my attention and a lot more time with me if you bring that point, of right? Uh, is like, hey, I want to learn about this. stuff. But if somebody wants to come and just talk about saying how you can bend Oracle backwards, I, I have interest, but I, I, I don't have that much interest there. So the reason I say it that way is you, people need to know how to communicate and what to communicate. And for, with that, you need to know sort of who your audience is and you need to prepare yourself to be able to talk about it like that. A lot of times you don't need to just go and say all the smartest things. I've learned, I've been very fortunate in my career that people will take my calls and take meetings with me, you know, very senior executives. And, and you go there and, you know, you, you have to be a little, bring a little bit of humility in terms of saying, hey, you have one point of view and, you know, and, and you have one ask, right? So, you know, so the, the, the receiving executive, so to speak, is thinking about saying, you have a point of view on certain things that you just want to share. And then you have an ask and can you help me understand this? I just don't get it. I really clearly remember when I was at Thompson, one of my peers uh, used to run our government business for, oh, sorry, not at Thompson, at Blue Cross. He, he used to run uh, our government business, which was a very profitable business. So I'm like, I have no idea how you. what is the nuances of the business of health insurance in the, the government sector. So I went and talked to him about a bunch of technology stuff, which he really liked. And I'm like, the next half an hour, can you tell me what your business is? It builds a relationship where people actually want to talk to you because People like to talk about what they're good at and what they do. And so if you create space like that, I think that's a very, very good you know, communication and effective tool and you will get repeat visits.
0: I think that speaks to something that we encourage people to do in job interviews, and that's bring questions. Yeah. Bring questions for the people that you interact with, whether it's casual, formal, because to your point, and it sounds like you've done this pretty well throughout your career, is you can learn all kinds of things from people just by asking questions
1: hey there's nick you know this man you know this what we are doing right now is an exemplar people love to talk about themselves right so use that to your benefit use that to your benefit people love to talk about what they've done how good they are at what they've done especially folks who are successful use that because there are are nuggets of learning there it's not you know i I don't mean to be glad that's people need to learn from that right you know because it's important. And I, and, and I think you got to leverage that people like talking about their successes. Bring something to the table and don't be afraid to ask for something. And I think people will respond. Most executives, most leaders that I know will respond to that. They will respect the fact that you're you are talking about that. For example, right, you pointed on bringing questions. fortunate enough that most interviews that we conduct nowadays, by the time people reach my desk, they've already been vetted. It's largely a fit conversation at that point. Right? It's not about I'm not gonna ask any clever questions that my people haven't asked the candidate already. They've already grilled them you know, before they get. So yesterday I was interviewing somebody for a pretty critical position. And you know, one question I asked her was like, you know, let's structure this conversation like this. Let's it be a dialogue, it's a 30-minute dialogue, first 15 minutes, just explain to me how you why why are we having the conversation, right? Meaning, you know, don't I don't mean to walk through your resume, but saying why why do you want this job, et cetera. Et cetera. And the next fifteen minutes is yours. You've spoken to a lot of people. Ask me any questions, anything that you want. And you see very clearly people are like you know who are prepared. Man, they will start shooting questions right away. What's your culture like? What do you do here? How do you make money there? What's this? Are you globally? You're like good. You're excited. You know I love talking about this stuff. And others would be no, no. All questions have been answered. Like I don't think we should be having you. So, I do think, to your point, I think you know we need to put the time to do people need to put the time to prepare for these conversations and leverage the fact that people love talking about themselves,
0: yeah, preparing the questions in advance, that's an important one because, like you said, I have to know my audience. If it's somebody I haven't talked to before, I have tools out there that I can research their background online before right. I even talk to them. so that's that's not a bad thing. And like you said, asking somebody about their experience or what they do, Always a, a good conversation starter. So Ani Deep, in the last six months, you have progressed from CIO to COO, so Chief Operating Officer. What made you want to take that step, and what is the difference in responsibility there?
1: I don't want to, like, too over-pivot to, to titles, uh, but at the same time, I don't want, I'm not one of those people who's going to say titles are not important. Titles are important. They are very important. And uh, if somebody comes and tells you the titles and, and compensation, and all that stuff is not important. No, they are the most important things. Don't let anybody tell you that. So that's one. The second thing is, and this is going to sound again, you know, hopefully not as altruistic. I like developing people. That's one of those things that I really like. Over the years, all the businesses I worked, you don't remember all the tech you built. And the, you know you remember some of that. But largely, it's the people. You remember the people, you know, all the people who are in better spots and have all these posh jobs that they're running. You know, a lot of people that, that I have developed are, are bona fide CIOs much better than I am at their jobs and like maybe large corporations. It's fun to see that, right? So this is the same thing here. You know, you know, one of the commitments I had made to my CEO as well as to our board was, if when I leave, you, you know, you don't have to go outside because I was brought from the outside. So I've been developing people and there's is very obvious stuff. So, hey, I'm fortunate enough that there's a, there's some pretty sharp people in the organization who could do what I was doing. And my point of view is very clear that you know, outside of technology management, I can, I can provide value to the corporation where you have a broader operational point of view, which essentially all that really means is I love being out with our customers. I love talking to, to, to our partners and sort of trying to, to brainstorm and solve their problems for them. And there is like no role like that. And, you know, and in addition to the fact that, you know, we had, we have developed some really smart people within my organization and this is an opportunity I wanted to give to them. So I would say two thirds was the opportunity I want to provide to some of these newer people, especially the new CIO at Entrust, as well as our new CISO to be able to say that, you know, that these are the opportunities that they get. And then that gives me time to focus more on more of, more of our commercial operations. And as we grow as a company, that, you know, I don't mean to say it that way, but you, you get to sort of fly at a different altitude, that you get to impact other things. Like I said before, right, managing managers is one thing, managing VPs is another, another thing. Managing C-level folks is a completely different thing. You know, you have to, you you have to, these people are high performing, high potential individuals themselves. So it's a it's a growth and stretch for me as well. So anyway, that's how I, I got to it. But I, I bring reasonable humility to it. It's not about me. It's about the other guys who are doing the work. And I just happen to have smart guys around me to be able to do that. And a management on the board that supports
0: it. I like that. And I liked what you said earlier about interviewing someone and providing the structure for the meeting. I think that creates some some nice safety and and helps them understand what's expected from both sides during the conversation. I'd be really curious about your one-on-ones do you do the same thing? How, how do those normally go? And what are you looking to get out of those, you know, at your lens with the people you manage today?
1: So you know, I'd, I'd be lying if I say that it is as structured officially because I have the privilege that you work with pretty senior people. So I'm not going to send them a form to fill out beforehand right? <laughs> at one on ones. Uh, but you do have. You know basic structures that you work with. One is that even if if the conversation is a lot more a dialogue and informal, right? You you know the key points you want to hit, and you got to make sure that 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 the people that you're having one-on-one with are clear on what the expectation is. Right. So, for example, I use these again. These are very basic 90s management principles. Right. There's a concept called the ten-five. Right. If it takes you ten minutes to explain it and five minutes for me to understand it, fantastic. Let's have a one-on-one. You shouldn't be like, but if it's longer than that, we should have a dedicated meeting because I need to be able to sort of look at it, absorb it. But if it is as simple, let's do it at the one-on-one. Then we make a decision, move on. But if it's longer than type up an email, let's set up a dedicated meeting. Uh, that's one way. The other thing I look at it is that's a privilege of being in the positions that we are. I can set up a meeting. I can clobber anybody's calendar because of my positional authority, so to speak, right? But I, I have a very simple framework, which is one-on-one is really me being available for the said person if they are my subordinate my peer well it's for them and if they don't show up i'll literally have meetings i'm like if you don't show up i won't be offended why because that's just time that i've dedicated to say let's have a conversation these are the things you're going to talk about if i need something specific i will set up a meeting i will set up with an explicit note this is what i expect this is what and it's a lot more easier to do that i'm pretty finicky about saying you know you have to set the goals very clearly like you know and I'm old school that way, you gotta use the subject matter, or sorry, the subject lines very clearly. It's a review, overview, whatever the answer is. And then at least give people a view in terms of what sort of the, the outcomes you're looking for. And then you gotta follow up with some sort of a close saying, hey, this is what we talked about because I'm getting old, man, I forget. If I don't write it down, I forget what I said. So you say, I write it down and send out saying, hey, these are the action items that we had. So I, you gotta take it upon the, on yourself to be able to do that. But anyway, so, but to answer your question directly, you have to have some sort of formalization around how do you do one-on-ones, how do you do your meetings, and especially you know, if you're running large organizations which which directly impact growth as well as uh, you know other parts of the organization, then you gotta be able to do QBRs, which are more organized. You gotta be able to explicitly talk about uh, you know, ops reviews, et cetera, et cetera, and our jobs, where people are talking about certain things. And they're expecting that they need to talk about some of these things. And, uh, so structure is important.
0: And that's quarterly business review, right? Just in case anybody doesn't know the acronym.
1: That is correct. right? Because as you sort of grow up in larger organizations or you're part of a bigger organization, not everybody cares or wants to do it, but you have to show a line of sight. You have to be able to say, you know, we do corporate corporate quarterly business reviews, for example, where everybody, you know, from CEO's you know, seat, we are talking about sort of how the business is doing, you know, how oh, we got to adjust, et cetera, et cetera. And then we need to be able to bring that back from a line of sight to the next level of leadership to be able to talk about. It's like, hey, we've had a really good quarter, right? You know, the revenue is good, but, you know, margins here, et cetera, et cetera. Or we're not getting as much traction in this part of the business. And then do we make it a little bit more relevant for them to be able to say, well, why is that interesting to me? One is, hey, you know, you guys are going to get paid this year. So that's one point, which is more personal. The other one is around saying that the priorities are shifting. So if you see us make a change, don't be surprised. And again, you know, I'm a little bit old school that way. It's good to have a line of sight. And not everybody either cares for it or, or wants it. But absence of it is clearly felt if you do not have a line of sight. So if you have a venue where you can show some line of sight, it doesn't need to be in this modern times. It doesn't need to be a physical QBR. I would seldom do any more physical QBRs, but you've got to be able to send out, old, send out some materials to be able to say, hey, this is sort of where we are at. This is how we are doing in terms of our commercial performance. This is where some of the challenges are. If you expect, if you see some changes happening to your priorities, this is the reason. And then people can start preparing, et cetera. So I think it's really important to have that sort of cadence.
0: It's interesting because we kind of came full circle with your comment. I don't know if you realized it, but the QBRs and operational reviews, that is an example of a leader such as yourself knowing his or her audience downward and how to communicate it back and how to make sure people understand how what they do fits within the organization and delivers some value. Giving them an understanding of their purpose and in what the business does.
1: I, I think it's important. It's hard, it's hard to carve out the time. It's hard to do it, but I think you gotta create a menu. Like like I mentioned, I think, you know, if, if you do these things consistently, this is the old IT guy in me saying, nobody's gonna thank you for doing that, but they will certainly notice when it's not done.
0: Oh, I like that. That's a great quote. So we're almost out of time here on a deep Last question I wanna ask, as someone that's a very busy technology executive, what do you do to maintain balance of work, family, hobbies, and and other things and prevent yourself from burning out?
1: You know, you just stay up nights and weekends, man. You know, sleep is overrated. That's simple as that.
0: More coffee,
1: right? I, I'm, I'm kidding. No, no, I, I think it's, it's a little bit around passion of what you do. Personally, I can talk about myself. This goes back to the top of what we talked about. There's only a few things that are important. If anybody says, like, work is important. In a very macro sense, you know, hey, I'm fortunate enough that we have a family that, that comes always first. You know, my family during COVID and now, especially now, you get to spend a lot of time and you can actually do stuff from home. All five of us have been here for the last month or so because my kids are out of school and then Christmas break, etc., etc. So I cherish the time. But I do not usually, I am personally not the kind of person who just says, oh, I just got to completely disconnect and all that. No, I just don't do that. Uh, but that's because I'm interested in, in what I do. I actually enjoy what I do. So I just carve the time out. So if I got to go spend the time with the family during the day, and if we do whatever we're going to do, then at night I'm reading stuff and doing these things. Music and performing arts is a big sort of part of my personal life. That's sort of my happy place. So, you know, if you see me in the middle of the night watching 1991 Frank Zappa concert in Prague, that's good for me. That That gives me the the balance that I need. So and that's literally what I was watching yesterday. I just posted it. So so I I think you have to know yourself. That's how I see it. I know what what brings me sort of peace and calm. And I have to find time for it. Which and sometimes that means is I gotta do it in the middle of the night. And that's that's when I like doing it, you know? Uh one thing I would recommend everybody, you know, is that you especially nowadays with the technology, man, it's so much easier. To do some of these things and i don't want to do a plug for, for another business but you know a very interesting way of looking at it is, is there is a lot of even if you don't have time to read enough books nowadays etc there is a lot of tools which you know podcasts and all the other stuff just like this where you can get snippets right there are tools which will give you the summary of things it's good to keep yourself informed in a very quick pace uh if you haven't looked at masterclass right that's a pretty cool thing you know uh, you know, we got that, you know, I've been using it for a while. So this Christmas, we got it as a family. And, and, you know, it's sort of fun to even do that together as a family. You know, just listen to Samuel Jackson talk about, you know, how to act. And, you know, it's really fun stuff to do. So you got to be able to sort of find time to do this. Do not give up your passions because it, otherwise it becomes work, man. And, and it becomes just, then, then it's no fun. So that's that's one guy's point of view. That's how I Keep sanity, but uh, but yes, a lot of coffee, a lot a lot of late nights, But I like blood doing that kind of stuff. I, I I like to do things that I like to do outside of work, and sometimes that means that you got to carve up the time.
0: Yeah, well, and that stuff gives you energy too. It helps you calm exactly. down, but it also brings you more energy to to go and okay, I need to plow through these four hundred emails that came in today or whatever that number is, right? Exactly. Last question on you, deep. if people want to reach out to you and follow up on this interview, where can they find you?
1: Oh, you know, just the usual places, you know, the the LinkedIns and the Twitters and all that. Or call Nick. Nick knows how to get hold of me, right? You know how to get hold of me. I love talking yeah, to people. Yeah, pricing and packaging the, to come. Exactly. And one of the one of the privileges that we have is that, and I don't mean to sound the way it's going to sound, it's like it's a way to give back as well. Man, if I can help somebody learn more, I'm happy to do it, man. At least I have an opinion that I'm willing to share. And uh, if I have the time, I'd be happy to do that. Awesome. So, you know, I, I follow my so Twitter, much. LinkedIn, and all the other usual stuff pretty pretty carefully. I have, a fair, I have a fairly good separation. I don't sort of do usually the Facebook and all the other stuff is usually my personal stuff. So if you want to see all kinds of nonsensical bootleg music videos, go to my Facebook site. If you want to talk about work and technology, then follow me on the other stuff or, or call me you know, or call Nick. He'll, he'll get a hold of me.
0: There you go. Well, thanks so much, Andradeep, for joining us on the podcast. I really appreciate it.
1: It's a pleasure, man. And uh, you guys do a good job. And thank you for doing all this. And, uh, you know, I've been following you guys for a while. And uh, you, you guys do a good job. This is a, this is a very important conversation. I think uh, I think you guys are doing man's work here.
0: So, so thank you for doing this. Thank you for the kind words. about that story of the interview structure. 15 minutes for Anudeep to ask questions. 15 minutes for the interviewee to ask questions. I hope you can see. I know we've said it time and time again. Make sure and bring your questions to an interview. Make sure you have questions for the person interviewing you. And make sure you prepare those ahead of time. Because people are watching and paying attention to what you ask, to what you're asking about. And if you don't have any questions, could be a red flag or maybe not the best sign to the people interviewing you. Advice for speaking with executives. Bring something to the table. Bring a point of view. Now, your point of view needs to be on something that they think is important. Have to know the audience. I probably don't need to talk about something at 500 level depth. I need to talk about something that's important to this person. And then don't be afraid to ask them for something in that conversation, whatever that may be. If you're not sure what to ask, ask about them, because as Anadeep said, people love talking about themselves. How about those tips on meeting etiquette that we got? Make sure that the subject of the meeting is clear so that someone knows what it is, what it's about, and put some goals and objectives in the meeting body. And if there's something the person needs to consume in advance, be sure and attach that to the meeting invite or send it out separately in advance of the meeting. And then after the meeting, if you have action items, Anadeep tells us that he likes to follow up with the action items he's going to take so that it helps him remember. He's written it down, and he's also sending it out. Good tips for anybody who takes action items from meetings. Also, he talked about one-on-ones, and he emphasized that one-on-ones are for his people. Did you hear that, everybody? One-on-ones are for you. It's your Boss, your manager, making time for you, hopefully, to talk about the things that you need help with or that you need to talk about with them. And I think we talked about in previous episodes some ideas on what to do if you're not having regular one on ones with your manager. I think that was episode 45. I'll find it and put it in the show notes. And then also, Anudeep tells us that he had mentors, he reached out to mentors. He took the initiative to reach out because rarely are things given to us. We need to take the initiative. So if there's somebody you want to talk to, go and ask them. Ask them if they'll talk to you. And make it easy for that person to say yes by telling them exactly what you want to talk to them about using that meeting etiquette that Anadeep gave us. For anybody out there who's looking to be the CIO of a company, HoneyDeep tells us that it may require some other functional roles before you get there and that we shouldn't be afraid to give it a try, even if it's only for a short time. Because if you don't try, you won't actually know if you're able to do it. I really like that example of the quarterly business review and a senior leader attending that, getting the word on the street or the word directly from the CEO of the company, but then... Breaking that down one level for the people under him to share how that impacts them. What does it mean for them? How does it affect what's going to happen to the company? But also, in what happens to the company, how will it affect the people? You can tell that he definitely has a mind for his people. He mentioned that he really enjoys developing people. And some of his fondest memories are of the people that he's developed and the great successes that they've experienced long after they worked under him. I think that's pretty cool. And I think that's also part of the wanting to make a bigger impact, wanting to influence and impact more people. But despite being a busy executive, you heard it, AnuDeep still finds time to keep family first, And he doesn't lose sight of the things that bring him energy and excitement, those passions. So even though it may be hard to disconnect from work, are you setting aside some time to pursue those things that give you energy, to pursue those things that are most important in your life? Just make sure that you're doing that. Because without that, all you're doing is grinding yourself down. Even if the work's interesting, you need something outside to energize you. So we'll leave it there. Would you want to progress all the way to Chief Operating Officer? Maybe this gives you a glimpse of what it's really like and what it really takes to get there. If that's something that's in the realm of possibility or the realm of ambition for you, I wish you well. If you're looking for more stories of people who have progressed to the executive leadership level, you can go back and listen to our discussions with Paul Green or Brad Tompkins or Yvette Edwards to name a few. And we'll make sure that the links to those multi-part episodes are in the show notes for reference. Just a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. It only takes a second to put in that positive review so we can take other people on the journey. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at Nerd Journey. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm Nick Cordy at Network Nerd underscore. Flying solo for now, from our buddy John White at v Journeyman signing off.